Hi, I'm Alex Bailey, and this is my colleague. Hi, I'm Stuart Henderson. And we're part of a team of academic developers at Swansea University who provide support and promote good learning and teaching practices and experiences. Welcome to A Pinch of Salt, Swansea University's learning and teaching podcast. If it has anything to do with learning and teaching in higher education, let's make sure everyone knows about it. The practice of assessment in education is generally seen as part and parcel of every student and teacher's experience. It is often assumed that this is how knowledge, understanding and skills are demonstrated, how learning is measured and how qualifications are earned, albeit by a wider variety of methods today than in the past. Formative and summative assessment is assumed to be a feature of most, if not all, accredited higher education courses. But what else do we assume about assessment? And how do such assumptions shape our understanding of assessment design, processes, and outcomes? Where do assumptions about assessment stem from? Over the past few years especially, many of us in education, staff and students alike, have been led to question many of our preconceived ideas about the way we do things, assessment included. It was questions like these that led a small group of colleagues from Swansea University to launch a discussion programme entitled Questioning Assessment, to begin a conversation across Swansea Uni about our assumptions and to stimulate a change in people's attitudes and approaches to assessment at the university. And today, we have the privilege of sitting down with that group of colleagues to hear about what the Questioning Assessment programme has achieved so far and their hopes for the programme in the coming year and beyond. So without much further ado, a very warm welcome to our guests. Uh, please, can you each take a minute to introduce yourselves and the role in the university? Hello, uh, I'm Jo Berry and I am currently School Education Lead for the School of Culture and Communication. Um, before that, I was Dean of Assessment and Feedback for the University, which explains why I'm interested in assessment. Um, I'm also a Roman historian, so I teach Roman history, Roman culture, Roman society, and particularly interested in social history. Um, much of my research is based on Pompeii. Uh, hi, uh, I'm Rian Ellis and I'm a senior academic developer at uh, Swansea Academy of Learning and Teaching at Swansea University. I've been here since um, 2017 and before that I was a lecturer in further education and my subject areas were uh, sociology, psychology and basic skills. Thank you very much. Welcome both of you. And Rian, you must very much have enjoyed there uh, announcing yourself as senior academic developer. Congratulations on your recent promotion. Um, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> it slipped it in there. <laughs> so if we're sort of really the, the, the whole point of your uh, question and assessment project was to really look in more detail at, at assessment. What was it that first sort of drew you into this as, as a separate uh, sort of area of interest from the rest of your, your work? I think it is fundamental to everything that we do at university you know obviously we want to teach students about particular things we want them to learn particular skills but how do we know if we if they have if we don't test that so you know I think that is absolutely fundamental but I guess that one of the things about um, assessment that really fascinates me is that it can be done in so many different ways um, and particularly at the moment post-covid lots of people are or have learned you know through the covid period that things can be done in different ways and so lots of those kind of traditional ways of doing things are changing um, have changed 
sometimes there's a move to kind of change back, you know, sometimes the, perhaps the experimentation hasn't worked. But, um, you know, I, I, at the moment, I think this is a really fascinating time to be talking about assessment because I think it's, it's something that lots of people are thinking about. Lots of people have had their traditional practices challenged. Um, and so they've had to, you know, come up with new solutions. They've had to be open to new ideas about assessment. And um, this is, you know, it's just a very exciting time. So I think that was one of the few sort of big advantages, maybe if there were any such a thing for COVID, was some of the things that several of us around campus have been sort of preaching for some while now have actually been forced through a little a filter. Rian, what, what, what sort of drew you into uh, assessment as an area of interest? Well, um, as I was just describing, having been in further education for... Oh, gosh, nearly 30 years, um, which I can't believe that I'm saying now, but uh, yeah, it was nearly 30 years. It was it kind of just like my everyday. I, I can't talk about learning and teaching without adding assessment on the end because they're all kind of inextricably linked. Um, so I, I kind of was there at the chalk face, if you like, of um, you know formative assessment and also preparing students. And I don't particularly like this expression, but preparing students for external assessment as well as part of my A-level teaching. Um, but then uh, I became a sociology examiner as well, um, so I was um, more heavily involved in things like um, the design of assessment criteria, um, which, you know, over the course of my career became, um, you know, very much a focus in assessment. And I'm not sure how comfortable I felt with all of that, even though I was involved professionally with it. Um, sort of teaching to an assessment isn't something that I feel particularly comfortable about, for example. So I also got involved uh, further on in my career with the quality assurance and development and design of assessment for an access to higher education validating agency. And, um, you know, again, in the early days of some of the changes, going back to, I guess, the early 2000s, um, I think of myself as a lecturer, I was quite resistant to some of the changes that came about as a result of um, rethinking things like um, assessment criteria and learning outcomes and, um, you know, how much to assess students on because there was a, a belief that perhaps um, there was an over-assessment happening. Um, but, you know, I was there very much um, involved in the revolution, really, of access to higher education. And I really believe there have been um, sweeping changes that we can all learn from, you know, in, in that area. So I remain quite, you know, passionate about good assessment design and um, allowing assessment to, um, to truly reflect what it should be about, which, um, which sometimes I think it doesn't, unfortunately. So, yeah, um, that's why I'm interested in assessment. There we are. Thank you very much. And I guess uh, your, your interest in assessment has led you down a path to start this panel, Questioning Assessment. So uh, I just wanted to ask you can, you, can you tell us a little bit more about Questioning Assessment? And how did it come about? And what exactly did you set out to achieve? So back in 2020, SALT ran an online conference. Um, it was the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, of course. And Joe at the time was Dean of Assessment. Uh, we also had an outside guest as part of a panel discussion on assessment. Um, that was Andy Grayson from Nottingham Trent University. And the purpose of that was to discuss assessment assumptions. Our colleague, Pat Xavier, who unfortunately can't be here today, who was also part of the organising team for questioning assessment, was also on that panel. 
And shortly after that, Patty emailed me um, a list of uh, assumptions which she'd come across in her reading from the Hayward book on uh, assessment of learning in engineering education. Um, as you can see, Joe and Pat are both incredibly proactive um, about pedagogy. So this was something that Pat had stumbled across as a result of being on the panel. And it was um, a list of assumptions from Oppenheim, Jehoda and James in 1967. Um, so it came with a question, it's like, you know, what do you think has changed since, you know, 1967 when these were assumptions that were very commonplace about, ass about assessment? There were things like um, pressure is required, uh, anxiety is necessary, uh, the proper place for exams is at the end of a course, exams are the most robust form of assessment and individual performance is key, not collaboration or teamwork. So you can see why these particular assumptions and others like them were quite um, kind of thought-provoking. What did we think of the relevance of these assumptions today? Have they changed or have they not changed at all? So, um, so the problem was, though, that this was July 2020, you know, not long after lockdown, and it was quite a while before, fortunately, um, Joe here picked back up on these asse um, assessment assumptions and then emailed me to say, look, can we do something with this? You know, th these are really quite profound assumptions and I think that there's some um, kind of um, opportunity here for us to turn this into a CPD programme. So, so the short answer was yes, I fully agreed. Um, so to cut a long part of the story uh, short, um, we discussed things further and together with colleagues at SALT as well, we thought that um, the panel discussion format of the conference was a great idea um, to perhaps pursue um, discussing these assumptions further. So we chose to host the panel discussions on Zoom meetings and that way our attendees could take part in chat discussion as well as um, a selection of panellists from around the university which we put careful thought into selecting. And we were also very keen to involve students and student representatives in this um, process as well, being key stakeholders of course in, uh, in, in, in understanding and um, discussing assessment. So um, finally we secured a partnership with the student union president and officers at the time as well and we decided then to present each theme in the form of quite a bold question you know for debate and discussion we felt that um, asking quite a bold question to prompt that debate and discussion would perhaps invite opinions from you know quite opposite ends of of a spectrum and that's how the questioning assessment program came about okay thanks Rian. Uh, that's great so you had a, a list of assumptions that you started off with. Um, from those, how did you decide which to tackle in your online sessions and, and why? What led you to follow those specific ones? Well, um, as Rianne said, we wanted to be deliberately provocative. We wanted to you know, really get people talking. So we chose questions that we thought would get a reaction from people um, that we knew would perhaps polarise people or, or polarise perhaps is the wrong word because that implies conflict. But what we wanted to do was to, uh, to bring people together who thought differently about things um, and who had you know, voiced 
opinions about these kinds of issues um, in the past. Um, and, you know, and as she said, we tried to get people from across the university. Um, we were deliberately targeting people from each faculty to make sure that all disciplines were represented. And the other thing that was really important to us is that we didn't just go for professors and you know, people who are already known to everybody. We deliberately were choosing people who were more junior, but who we knew were um, interested in these kinds of issues, you know, well, perhaps doing research on some of these issues in some cases. Um, so um, we started off, you know, our, our, our first question, um, deliberately provocative, was simply why assess? You know, why do we assess? Why bother assessing? You know, students are coming here to learn. Why do we need to, you know, why do we need to assess them? Um, so this really was about addressing some of those fundamental assumptions about assessment, what assessment should be. Um, and, you know, should it be summative? Should it be formative? How much of it should there be? What do students actually need to do to, to prove that they have actually learned something, for example? So this was about the nature and the purpose of assessments. Um, we then wanted to challenge that, that old chestnut about um, stress. You know, um, do, do students need to be performing under stress? basically. So our question was, does pressure in assessment lead to resilience? Um, so, you know, obviously, obviously, I mean, again, this is probably um, uh, debatable, but um, assessment should be challenging. It's not intended to be easy, is it? I think, I think most people in the, in the panels agreed on that, but challenging, does that necessarily have to mean stressful? Um, and so, you know, so that was what we were, we were challenging there, you know, do we want to push students outside of their comfort zone? Um, and if we do, um, how far outside of their comfort zone do we want to push them? You know, how stressed do we want to, them to be? Um, and if we do that, is that actually going to, um, is that going to create resilience in them? Is that going to make them better students, you know, better able to cope with things. So I guess that that was the assumption that we were, we were trying to challenge there, is, you know, this, this idea that stress is necessary to, for students to grow, I guess. Um, so we, you know, and we were talking about the positives and the negatives to that, and there were lots of discussion about, you know, exactly what is resilience and things. Um, so, so that was actually, a, that was a really, really interesting um, discussion. So our third um, session, the title of our third session was Why Do Students Fail? Um, and this is a really important one because there often seems to be an assumption that if a student fails, it's somehow the student's fault, that perhaps they haven't worked hard enough, um, that they haven't put in the hours that were necessary, um, they haven't revised properly for their exam, or they haven't gone away and done the reading that they needed to do, that kind of thing. So, you know... I guess one of the things that we wanted to, to challenge there was this assumption that um, students are somehow lazy, um, that they don't, you know, that, that, that it's their own fault when they fail, basically. Um, but we also wanted to um, think about the concept of, of failure, as in more generally, actually. Um, so, you know, what, what does failure mean? Is failure a negative thing, or is it something that is actually related to growth you know and is there some way of changing some of the the really quite charged discussion around this concept of um, of failure to make it a more positive thing and to make students actually realize that um, you know by failing you learn you know 
um, that's actually kind of kind of like a fundamental concept there. So so that session that was about you know about these two kind of related things. Firstly, challenging our understanding of why students fail, but then also challenging um, you know assumptions about the actual nature of failure itself and how that can be used or whether that can be used, I guess, to you know on the learning journey. Yeah, and some of those negative assumptions about students um, came through in the next theme as well, which kind of followed on nicely, was do we trust our students? So um, we wanted this to be about more than issues of academic misconduct or academic integrity, which, you know, sometimes, again, is associated with assessments um, such as examinations and... Uh, even submitting essays and plagiarism and turn it in. You know, there's a whole host of assumptions there about, about trust. But we wanted um, to have a wider discussion about relationships and roles as well. So, um, so do we trust our students uh, was a, a prompt to looking at um, assumptions that we sometimes make about students, but, but also that that's two-way. You know, do students trust their teachers and lecturers as well? And that was the last of the online panel discussions, actually. The fifth session was uh, a workshop session for staff in the uh, conference in July. And we wanted this to be a more kind of active, hands-on, and it was an in-person session, where colleagues who may have attended uh, the online panel discussions, we had some who did and some who didn't, um, but they could come together and reflect on what they felt that they got from attending the online sessions, and we did a little review of the key themes that came out of them. Fantastic. Well, just hearing you talk about those sessions, like every single one of them, I thought, I've got ideas about that. I've got ideas about that, you know, and, and I, I think the topics you selected, you're quite right. They were totally provocative. It, it, gets, the, it gets the brain going for, for any, anyone listening, just hearing those titles. Pick on one of those. Uh, you were talking about, can we trust our students? Immediately, my head's firing off about uh, the emergence of online tools for uh, producing essays, you know, essay mills and things like that. And uh, chat GPT or, or all of that discussion that's going on. We could do an entire podcast episode about that if we wanted to. But uh, they sound fantastic, is what I'm trying to say. And I wish I'd been at all of them. Thank um, you. You can still <laughs> listen to the you recordings, can. Alex. And where, where, where can we find those? The recordings are hosted still in this way um, uh, resource, and that's hosted on our website, on the SALT website. Fantastic. I will uh, pop a link to that in the show notes for this episode. So if, if you're listening now, you can, uh, can dip down to the description of the episode. You'll find a link to that uh, there if you want to check that out um, but yeah so I, I'm sat here thinking I wanted to be there um, with every fiber of my being but uh, how, how did staff engage with those sessions when they were there live in the room how do you feel uh, that went they did um, I mean we, we honestly we had no idea who would come how many people would come whether people would engage with this at all um, but they did um, we had uh, 60 people come to the first one um, after that, you know, it was it was more or less the same for each of them actually. I think, but over the four, there were um, two hundred people who came. There were another two hundred people who listened to the recordings, um, and I think it was about eight hundred, wasn't it, Rianne, who um, engaged with the sway page as well. So, I mean, clearly there was a lot of interest out there. I mean, incidentally, I, I've actually had I've been sitting having a coffee in one of the the coffee shops on campus. And I've actually had somebody come up to me and say, when are you doing another one of these things? It was, you know, it was really, really interesting. Um, so, you know, I think there's an appetite for these these 
discussions of you know fundamental questions like the ones that we were asking really um, and actually what was really interesting too is because it was on zoom there was also the chat function and the chat I mean honestly uh, as Pat and I were chairing these sessions trying to keep up with the chats was almost impossible wasn't it it was so so difficult to keep the discussion you know because the, the the panelists all had loads to say um, and they were reacting to each other and it was absolutely brilliant but there was just it was kind of like this the chat just had a life of its own didn't it and it was just you know afterwards having to download the chat and, and go through it all and see how people had been reacting to it was in, incredibly valuable um, and just shows you know how much people were interested in you know these kinds of issues and, and how people had opinions and how they were disagreeing with each other as well or giving examples of well actually in my discipline in my subject area this is what we these are some of the assumptions that, that we make and, and realizing that actually different parts of the university really think quite differently on some of these these topics um, and for me that's possibly one of the most valuable things of, of doing this was actually bringing people together who wouldn't normally have that chance to chat to each other um, you know, making people realise that things are done differently, that people do have different attitudes around the university. Uh, and I, I just, I, yeah, I think that was really, really important. Well, I think that's great because the, the way that people were participating then shows their full engagement rather than just, oh, they've tuned in to watch or to listen to whatever's going on. Uh, they are actually really getting absorbed with, with the subject. So it sounds like, you know, with, with such active participation, I'm sure that when you were... Uh, so coming into the sessions, you already had ideas of, of where things may go, but I'm sure you got pulled about all over the place with so many different people uh, all putting in their sort of tuppence worth. What were the key themes that came out of the discussions uh, in, in the sessions? Well, there were particular themes in each session that came about. Um, there was also quite a lot of disagreement over these themes as well, which was quite interesting. You know, it wasn't that everybody thought the same, not by a long shot. Wouldn't be a discussion it otherwise. Wouldn't be a discussion <laughs> otherwise, would it? But there were, you know, there were some general things that came out that, not necessarily that everybody agreed on, but that everybody thought were issues that needed further discussion. I think is perhaps the, the right way to put that. Um, so, you know, um, for example, um, that we sh um, shouldn't assume that assessment today is just essays and exams um, and I think that's an important one and actually I think most people did agree on that I say most not all most most people agreed on that um, you know this idea that um, we do need to start being a bit more creative um, that we need to be making more use of formative assessment for example there was quite a lot of discussion now about how much formative assessment how much bite-sized assessment whether that's actually helpful to students whether it makes it more stressful for students and things like that so there are still still issues within that to uh, to, to, to be discussed but yeah um, challenging the assumption that assessment is mostly um, exams and and essays I think um, another one was that we can't assume and I think this is an important one actually we can't assume student knowledge about assessments we can't assume that they actually arrive here ready for university understanding exactly what they need to do for all of their assessments um, knowing how to write an essay or how to do an exam or you know if you're using a more creative form of assessment them actually knowing what that is um, so, you know, and, and I guess an example that, that I always use of that that's kind of relevant to, to my discipline, you know, in, um, in the humanities is, you know, we, we quite often will say to students that we want you to write a critical analysis 
of a certain topic. Well, what does that actually mean? You know? Um, and and uh, interestingly, over Christmas, so my daughter has just started university. She's doing politics at Cardiff. And she came home and she's like, oh, I've got to write an essay. And my title is Write a Quick Critical Evaluation of This. And, and I actually said to her, do you understand what that means? And she was like, no, she said, but I was too scared to ask. Um, I know, you know, and that's the, so I just thought that was actually really interesting. So we can't assume that they know what we're talking about, that actually we need to be much better about um, communicating with students. Um, we can't assume that they've gained skills elsewhere. We need to actually, you know, say to them, these are the skills you need. These are how you're going to gain them. We need to be much better at communicating the aims of an assessment. So, you know, I'm asking you to do this because this is going to teach you how to do, you know, this is this is going to have a, a, a tangible benefit for you. You're going to gain something from, from, from doing this. So it's about you know, communicating the aims, communicating the outcomes as well. Um, and also, I think, you know, wrapped up in there too, is we can't assume that students think about assessments in the same way that we do. And I think that's actually a really important one. I think that staff sometimes forget about the students. You know, they assume that students understand, but they assume that, that students think that assessment has the same purpose they think it has um, and, and actually I don't think they always do and I, I think that kind of came out of the discussion. Um, the next one, the next kind of theme is, I think it's to do with trust actually, you know, we can't assume that students trust us but we quite often expect them to trust us, you know, we think that, you know, we are, I don't know, you know, the, the font of all knowledge, uh, we're imparting our knowledge to the students and that Therefore, they should treat us with respect. They should listen to every word we say. They should do what we tell them to do. Um, but actually, that you know, why why do we assume that? Um, and this all has to be about the relationship that we have with students, isn't it? You know, trust is if we want them to trust us, then we have to be open with them. We have to be transparent. We have to actually explain why things are do or why we're doing things in a certain way. Um, and we have to, you know, we have to be available to them I guess you know if they've got questions if they've got problems or things like that so again this is to do with the, the communication isn't it it's all about good communication um, and you know having good communication with your students and them understanding that they can ask questions for example or you know if they don't understand something that's okay or you know understanding why they're doing something um, this is also about confidence it's about building their confidence isn't it um, and it's about building their resilience as well you know so we can't assume that they come in feeling confident and being resilient you know um, those are both things that actually take time to develop so um, yeah so I think trust you know and trust is a two-way thing as well um, and this is the other thing I think I came out so we want we want we need to earn students trust we need to earn their trust of us but also we need to trust our students too we can't make these assumptions that um, you know I think for me, perhaps the biggest one is that if there's an opportunity to cheat, they will, for example. That's a really dangerous assumption, I think. Um, you know, and we can't, so, so those kinds of, of things. But, you know, as, as Rianne said a minute ago, that trust is not just about academic misconduct, it's about other things as well, you know. Um, and if a, if a student doesn't turn up to class, you know, we need to trust that they actually have a good reason why they're not there. 
you know, because most of the time they do. They might have a job or they might be ill or there might be something. You know, they have lives. They have complex lives, I think. And perhaps we need to be understanding that as well. And I guess that relates to the next one, which, again, is about the failure um, and, you know, uh, the fact that failure is explained by lack of effort on behalf of the students. That's another assumption that I think was challenged multiple times during the season, um, during the series. Um, and, you know, like I just said, you know, students are complex. They have complex lives, just like us, actually. Um, and then I think the last theme for me was to do not, not about assessment, but actually about feedback. Uh, we give students loads of feedback all the time. I think most of us agree that we give, we, maybe we give too much feedback to students, but, you know, we are constantly providing feedback. We're being asked to provide feedback to students. We assume that students know what to do with that feedback. But do they? And have we asked them? And do they realise necessarily that they're even having it as the sign, the signposting that they are getting exactly. feedback is almost as important exactly. as giving it? Do they understand when they're getting feedback? Do they understand that feedback actually takes lots, lots of different formats and it's not just the, the bit that they get on turn it in after they've, you know, after their three week, after the three week marking turnaround. Um, but yeah, you know, once, once they've actually got that feedback, do they know how to apply it to their next assessment? Do they understand the relevance of it? Um, and how, you know, so um, I quite often hear from staff uh, from colleagues who say things like, you know, well, there's no point writing lots of feedback because students don't read it. Um, and my response is, well, why don't they read it? Probably because they don't understand it, maybe. So is there some work there that needs to be done? You know, do we, do we need to be thinking a bit more about this kind of stuff? So I think that that, that was, for me, was another um, important assumption that needs to be challenged. Thank you very much, Joe. Rian, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, um, what I would add to that is you know, because we're all constantly learning, aren't we? I'd like, I'd like to, um, to think that anyway. And I learned so much from being in the background and listening really carefully to what everyone was saying. And uh, I think overall, it, it, it really taught me a lesson in perspective because uh, the perspective and the assumptions that we have are often very much kind of deeply associated with our own individual experiences, our own individual subject areas. We make uh, assumptions about other subject areas and the, uh, the conversation um, really challenged those assumptions, didn't it, Joe? You know, that we make assumptions about other subject areas which are, in fact, not true at all. Um, so, you know, going down a road of more creative and more inclusive assessment and more choice, for example, is actually possible, even in subjects which are, you know, associated with very much factual knowledge, for instance. So, um, so yeah, it really taught me that lesson in uh, having an open mind and trying to see things from other people's point of view more and other people's experience more. Fantastic. And so the content of those panel discussions just sounds incredible. Uh, but what I really love about what you did is actually you, you then had a workshop following that up at the SALT conference where you invited just anyone and everyone that was involved to come along and, and be part of a live discussion. Uh, and I think that was a great idea. Um, so uh, I guess I wanted to ask, um, what did that add to your findings? And uh, are there plans to do any more? 
Yeah, um, well, we didn't have a lot of time. That was the, the problem, really, with the workshop on, on uh, the conference day. So we would have liked a lot more, wouldn't we? Probably three or four times as long as we, as we got. But it was a little bit of a, of, a, of a pilot workshop, really, just to test the water as to you know, how we could try to kind of take the discussion on uh, and, and up a level. Um, because what we'd learned from the programme um, had kind of given people ideas you know, of where they wanted to go um, in terms of improving their... Uh, their assessment design and their, their, the choices of assessment they were giving to their students. So, so we asked staff, you know, what would you like to do? You know, how, after listening to all of this, what changes would you like to make? What goals do you have? But we also asked them about what barriers um, were in the way of that. So we did a little exercise, and that's where the time would have, um, the, the more time would have been handy. Um, so we just started that process, really, really of, um, of identifying what barriers were in the way of getting to where we feel that we really, in principle, need to go. And we've got some really good um, findings and data coming out of that session. Um, so um, we, we wish to kind of roll this out now at the faculty level and do more of these kinds of workshop with a little bit more time. Um, so you see, it really added uh, to our reflection on how the whole program had gone and it's fed into where we would like to go next. Okay, so it sounds like, you know, throughout the whole of the, the program, the question assessment program, you've had some really good discussions with staff and colleagues um have you come to any sort of relatively concrete conclusions or anything uh, as yet or um you know what what's what's happened as a result of, of things that have already taken place well i don't think we've come to concrete conclusions i think you know what we've shown is that there aren't any um so i think you know that, that's probably the, mo the most important thing to say about that um what we what the, our next steps i guess you know i mean the, the whole point of this this series was to to get everybody talking um to get everybody questioning their assumptions um and you know i think that we achieved that um but you know there we want more staff to be doing that i guess we want more colleagues to be doing that um so you know it's about trying to get our findings out a little bit wider um and you know um and this is one of the reasons why we want to do these faculty workshops. We want to actually engage more people. This is why the, the SALT conference workshop actually was really good because, you know, the, actual, the, the series that we did was, you know, five or six academics plus students talking about, you know, what they thought about these issues, whereas the, um, the panel at the SALT conference actually gave everybody a chance to say what they thought. So we want to kind of carry on with that, do some things in the faculties. Um, but also, you know, we want, to, we want to start writing some of this stuff up, actually. Um, so, you know, I think there might be some um, blog posts to be written. There might even be a couple of articles in this, too. Um, so we're going to try to, you know, disseminate what we've been doing in, in, in different ways, I guess, to try to reach as many people as possible. Well, you've brilliantly summarised the questioning assessment programme so far. Uh, can you just tell us a bit then about what's next for the programme, aside from these faculty workshops that you've already discussed? Uh, what is there to look forward to this year and beyond? Well, um, as well as listening to this podcast, <laughs> which I hope the staff will do, uh, we um, would like to strengthen our kind of partnership with students and student union representatives as well for the project so um so we have um lined up a student-led online panel discussion 
And again, this is something new for us to be doing here at SALT. It will be open to uh, staff and students to attend and it'll be hosted on Zoom webinars, but we'll still have a question and answer function, so it'll still be interactive, but perhaps a, an even wider audience and involvement than we've had in previous online panel discussions. So we're hoping to, um, to roll that out uh, at the end of February, so details on that um, will be coming soon via usual SOT uh, channels, such as our website and our newsletter, and um, we work closely now with school education leads and in school education for us. So watch out for more information on that coming very soon. So the theme for the uh, student-led panel discussion is in the process of being finalised, as are all of the dates for these things. So yeah, um, this is nice to uh, do this podcast to kick off all of what's to come soon. Um, keep an eye out in all of those places that I just mentioned for information and details. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much uh, to the both of you for, for coming on the podcast today and uh, for, for talking about questioning assessment. We're, we're all really excited to see what happens in, in 2023 and beyond. Uh, we come to the section of our podcast now that we like to call the salty questions. This is just a, a bit of fun um, at, at, the end, at the end of the episode. So um, uh, I'd like to ask you both, uh, if you had all the power, what one change would you make to assessment and feedback at Swansea University? Such a difficult question, isn't it? Do you know what I, I would do? I, I would like students to have more choice of assessment. I would, like to, I would like students to be able to say how they want to be assessed. Um, I think, you know, let them play to their strengths, really, rather than making everybody do the same thing. Um, perhaps it's more appropriate to, um, to, to, yeah, let them, to, for them to play to their strengths and demonstrate what they can do in their own way. It is a really difficult question, and I, I try to think of it from the point of view of uh, colleagues, teachers, lecturers, and you know what they would like to do, and sometimes what is the main barrier to them achieving that. So uh, can I extend the question to kind of like if I had a magic wand, if I had magic powers, um, <laughs> I would create more time. Because sometimes the will is there to make these changes and to really think about redesigning things and offering that greater choice. But it's having the time to really properly think, digest what you've learned from coming to sessions like questioning assessment and um, put into action, you know, things that you would like to try, you know, and that's not easy. Trying new things isn't easy either. Um, so maybe mm, I'll be naughtier and squeeze two in time and confidence to try out new things. Okay, so sticking with a similar sort of theme, what has been the most enjoyable assessment that you've ever been involved with, either in your own student life or as you know, a staff member setting assessments or assessing students? I think the best thing I've ever gotten students to do is um, to use a reflective essay. Um, and uh, so, I mean, I, I do this every year, actually. So I teach a module called um, Gender in the Roman World. Um, which can be, you know, quite controversial. We spend a lot of time talking about stereotypes of male and female behaviour and things like this. Anyway, students tend to get quite um, involved in, in these kinds of discussions, so it, it's quite a lively module anyway. Um, but what the very first assessment comes, you know, um, in week five of teaching, so it's early on, and what they have to do is write a thousand words, uh, a reflection, basically a thousand word reflection on anything they want to from those first four weeks of the module. And I can honestly say I look forward to reading them. 
Um, I can't wait to read them because everyone is different. And it, you know, I, I, I find when I read them, I get a really good sense of, firstly, what they found interesting. So what they want to, you know, what they actually want to write about, but also what they've understood, you know. Um, and sometimes, you know, the, the students that you are just in class, they're so quiet and they won't say anything at all. And you don't know what they're getting from the class. And then you read this reflective essay and you're just like, wow, you know, they've made all of these connections. They've taken, you know, what we've done in class and they've, they've pushed it even further. And then they've made connections with other modules that they're, that they're, um, that they're, they're studying as well. And it, it just, it blows my mind every single time. Um, so, you know, that for me is my, is my all time favorite best assessment because, um, you know, just giving, you know, I mean, it still has to, they still have to provide references. It still has to be, you know, it's still, it's still an essay, right? But they have the freedom to, to choose what they want to write about and they choose about what interests them. And, um, and I, I, I just come away every time thinking that my students are amazing. That's fantastic. Well, I didn't know what Joe was going to say, but mine kind of follows on quite nicely from that, actually, because I think because we come from written-based assessment subjects, don't we? Um, <clears throat> I love essays. I'm quite weird. Um, I love writing them, and I like reading really good ones as well. And I often, when I was teaching, at the end of a really good essay, I would be blown away and inspired by reading lots of my students' work. But I, I do know that there's a school of thought out there, you know, which is, um, and it came up in the conversations and discussions on questioning assessment, that, that maybe essays test writing skills more than they test other things and the things that they should be assessing. Well, I'm not too sure, but um, I still think they have a place. Um, but I also agree that there are other ways that we can you know, sort of um, assess what we should be assessing in writing, such as reflective blogs. So mine is similar in some respects to what Joe was saying. And, you know, recently I had the experience of being a student again, which was a bit weird, you know, when I'm now in my 50s, being a student again. But I did an MA here at an MA education at Swansea. And um, two of the most interesting and enjoyable assessments that we had to do, that I had to do, uh, one was a reflective blog post. And it was uh, set as a scenario that, you know, it was going to be an online blog. And it was about my experience um, of a, a digital education and I had to write a little bit about my journey. So I really liked doing that, and it was a different style of writing to perhaps what I would have um, written in for an essay. And I also had to put together an inclusive lesson plan as well, which, uh, which was also a written-based assessment, but not as an essay. So I thought those were two examples of how you can still um, approach um, an assessment using written skills, but thinking a little bit more creatively and out of the box than a standard essay. My final question to you is, if you could invite anyone, dead or alive, to be a guest panellist on one of your questioning assessment panel sessions, who would you have and why? See, this is really hard. And I've been chewing this one over, it feels like for hours actually, I've been trying to decide who would I invite. And I can't answer it, but, what I would say is, if I was to invite somebody, why would I be doing it? And I'd be doing it, I think, because I would want them to attract more people, more people in the audience. 
So I would perhaps go for somebody who is quite famous that might be known in lots of different disciplines. You know, I mean, if I was thinking about just my discipline, then I might go for Mary Beard. You know, lots of people have heard of Mary Beard. Um, she writes for the Times Higher Education. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, so, so may, you know, somebody like that, I think, would bring in lots of people from the humanities. But I would want to find somebody who would also attract those people from the other two faculties as well. I don't know who it would be. And, um, and I was thinking, you know, well, maybe it would be a politician, you know, somebody who is actually you know, some, somebody who's known to everybody. Or maybe it would be a TV personality or um, so I don't I don't know. But um, it, I, I, would, I would want it to be somebody who people would say, "Ah, oh, you know, actually, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go along to that because I've heard of this person and I'm interested in what they might have to say about it. Um, and we could then use that to to, you know, kind of kickstart other things, couldn't we, Rianne? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Reach more people. Reach more people. Thank you. That's what I wanted to say. So please do come along to our first questioning assessment panel of 2023, starring Boris Johnson. Um, no, <laughs> not Boris Johnson. <laughs> I, uh, no, no. I did actually think about Boris Johnson. I also thought about Jeremy Corbyn, and I thought, no, actually, both of those, no. Um, then I thought Barack Obama. Oh, no, thought, he would yeah, be great. That would be great, actually, yeah. wouldn't it? Or, even his wife or Michelle, as well. Michelle Obama. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What about, what about you, Rian? What do you think? Yeah, well, I've listened to some of the other podcasts, and I knew you were going to ask this question, Alex. So, um, so could I, um, perhaps, um, kind of illustrating something um, potentially controversial about assessment, um, maintain my academic integrity if I admit to Googling it? <laughs> because I didn't know who it was so I googled who invented the exam oh and apparently it's a guy called Henry Fischel that's what Google says anyway I haven't fact checked this out completely (laughs) but apparently he was a businessman and philanthropist in the 19th century so I haven't got any further than a basic Google search but that would be um, my starting point, I think, dead or alive. I, I presume um, Henry Fischel is no longer with us, but in, in, <laughs> in principle, not. Uh, not from the 19th century. Um, but yeah, it's intriguing. So on, and it's made me want to read up a little bit more, actually, on the history of the exam. Gosh, the first thing that question that that raises in my mind is, given that universities as institutions have existed for several centuries prior to that chappy coming along and inventing examinations, how did they assess before? Or did they assess? Did they assess? Yeah. Which brings us back to why assess? Why assess? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. So we've come full circle. Um, thank you so much, everyone, uh, for uh, joining us on the podcast today. It's goodbye from our guests. Goodbye. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Stu. Uh, goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to A Pinch of Salt. You can find new episodes of this podcast on the last Tuesday of every month with the odd bonus episode scattered in between. You can catch us on all good podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. You can also find us on Twitter at SUPinchOfSalt to join in the conversation. If it's got anything to do with learning and teaching in higher education, let's make sure everybody knows about it. Mm-hmm.